what a pair. They're going to have a lot of fun, and I think there'll be a lot of uh, great learning that will take place in that class too. So if you're a parent or even a grandparent, I would encourage you to get engaged in that opportunity. So this morning, we're continuing the series on crossing, really just looking at the work of what Christ accomplished on the cross on our behalf. And Pastor Doug's done a few messages already, and this will be the last one before we break into a new series next week. And as I begin the message this morning, I want to start with a question. What makes something new? Does new mean the same as new, never been used before? Or are we talking about like a new car that many of us purchased that like has no miles on the odometer or maybe just a couple of miles on the odometer? Are we talking like new, like maybe the purchase of a new used car that's new for us, but not necessarily a brand new car, maybe have thousands of miles on it. It could be several years old. And yet it's new to us. And so some of us, even who are younger members of a larger family, even remember getting new used clothes that were our siblings that we then got to wear that were our clothes. So what kind of new are we talking about here? The reason I'm asking is that when we, uh, you know, kind of what kind of meaning do we have for the word new is because we're going to be talking about new life in Christ this morning. And what, we're, what are we referring to when we think about new life in Christ? Are we talking about a new new life that's completely new, like new life smell? Or are we talking about slightly used but new to us, kind of like a used car or hand-me-downs? So however we think of new life that we have in Christ because of his atoning sacrifice on the cross, one thing is certain, that Christ's sacrifice has changed everything for us. It changes everything. And, you know, sometimes I think if we have new life in Christ that we think about that, if we've grown up in the church or we've been attending church for a long time, we can sometimes take that for granted, what Christ has done on the cross, because we've heard the story so many times. And we sometimes get complacent when we think about all that God did and all that has changed for us. And today I want us just to take a moment and have us reflect on just how much has changed because of the cross. And Paul talks about new life in Christ in 2 Corinthians. So I'm going to invite you to turn there, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. We're going to read that. And, and I think we can learn a great deal about the new life in Christ and all that has changed because of the cross. And so let's look at that passage. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. And so this is what Paul writes. He says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting the people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Let me pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for this word that comes to us, your word, God. And what a rich and deep uh, description of what Christ has done for us and all that has changed for us. And God, we pray that you would just uh, impact us again with, as we reflect and we dive into what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. God, that you would uh, really encourage our hearts and that we would respond with gratitude, with joy in our lives because of all that Christ has done for us and all that has changed. God, we pray that you would use your word this morning for our benefit, but your design. And God, I pray that I might decrease so that Christ might increase and the word would be from you, from the Holy Spirit to us today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we kind of look at this passage, I want to begin with another question. So who did Jesus die for? And I want to invite us to go back to the beginning of this passage, 14 and 15. Who did Jesus die for? Did he die just for a few people? Did he die only for those who live in the United States? No. In verses 14 and 15, we're told that Jesus died for all. Literally, Jesus died for everyone. The original uh, language kind of reads that Jesus died instead of or in place of or on behalf of or for the benefit of everyone, not just for a few, okay? And this fits well with what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, when he says, This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I don't know if you uh, understand, no matter who you are, what you've done or what you're doing, that Jesus loves you. He died for you in your place for your benefit. And most of the false religions in the world uh, do nothing but take, but Jesus gives. And he gave his life for you and for me. And he says in Matthew 28, 20, verse, chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, and then Timothy says, or Paul says something in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, very similar to what Jesus just proclaimed. He says, for there is one God, one mediator, who also between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Here's the deal. Jesus did not come only for nice people. Or for religious people, okay? He died for all. He did not uh, wait until we were clean and we were cleaned up before God and looked pretty good to God. He died for us even in the depths of our worst sins. Paul says this in Romans 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's not because we were worthy. It's because we weren't worthy that he died for us. And Jesus died for us because of his great love for us. And this is the basis of the gospel message. Jesus himself said in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so our God wants to have a personal relationship with you through Jesus. And Jesus is the door to make that happen. And I know for some of us it's hard to believe that Jesus would love us, even our messed up selves, that the creator of the universe would love us so much, but he does. And he has shown that love uh, 
through Jesus and through what Jesus did on the cross. And since Jesus died for all, well, why, why did he die? Why didn't God come, come up with another way to make this all work? And I want us to remember, as we ask that, that Jesus himself asked that question three times the night before he was killed. You know, is there another way? So why did Jesus die? Let's take time and look back at this passage as well to think about that question. Paul says in verses 18 and 19, it's for the purpose of reconciliation. Jesus died so that we could be reconciled to God. Look at 18 and 19 again. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And so when there's a dispute between two parties, they need to be reconciled. And there's something between the two parties that's causing trouble. And sin separates us from God. God is holy and pure and just. And our sin places us at war with God. And when two parties are at war uh, and are at odds with each other, it affects their relationship and their attitudes toward one another. And so when we're not in fellowship with God, it affects us the same way. Our sin literally affects our attitude toward and our relationship with God. Remember, Isaiah 53 tells us that it was for our sins that Jesus died. John, the apostle, writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he says, He, Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And so the word for reconciliation in 2 Corinthians denotes a change in attitude and in relationship. And so when we make Jesus our Lord, he makes things right between us and God because of what he accomplished on the cross. And so we receive God's grace into our lives and we receive literally a new lease on life. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And so why did Jesus die? Well, Paul also tells us in this passage, so we could become a new creation. A new creation. He says in 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new has, is here. And so since your sin has messed up your life and messes, it messes us up, all of us, we need a total rebuild from the ground up. Okay? And so verse 17 says, Because of what Christ has done on the cross, when we belong to him, we're a new creation. The word translated new in this passage denotes something of superior quality of being. And so we are regenerated spiritually, and our spirit is made alive. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, verse 5. He says, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So we were spiritually dead, but now through Christ we are made alive. And when Christ makes us new, we have new goals, we have new aims, we have new purpose, new purposes in life, we have new perspectives. Everything is new. Everything has changed. 
And so why else did Jesus die? Well, Paul also says, so that we could be righteous in God's eyes. Look at verse 21, the last verse in this passage. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So given the depth of sin in humanity, his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, is most dramatically revealed with God sending his son to be a sinless sacrifice for the sins of his people. And the cross of Christ meets the ultimate need of God's people, our need for God's mercy from a righteous God. And on the cross, Christ takes on our sin, and because of the cross, we then take on the righteousness of Christ. And so when we belong to Jesus, the blood of Jesus purifies us. And 1 John 1.7 says this, if, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, God sees us as righteous through Jesus. And this is the part of grace. And this is what grace is all about. God considered, considers us righteous even when we're not perfect. God sees us through the righteousness of Christ, not our sinful, uh, messed up lives. So because of Christ's death on the cross, what has changed for us? And Paul has a whole list of things in this passage that have completely changed. And so I want us to look back at that for just a little bit. Because of the cross, we have a new motive for living. And that's Christ's love. If we look back at verse 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us. It compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And so what motivates you to do what you do? What motivates you to serve God? Some serve God out of fear and obligation, and they're afraid of going to hell, or maybe they're afraid that God somehow is going to drop the hammer on them. And fear is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not the thing that should be the motivation for us to serve God. Rather, we need to understand God loves you. He loves us. What He did, He did for us because He loves us. The word compel in this verse means to propel with energy. And we are propelled together into serving Christ's mission by the love of Christ. Christ's love demonstrated through His death and through the cross is what should motivate us to serve God with joy and with passion. So what else has changed because of the cross? Paul also says we have a new purpose in life. Look at verse 15. He says, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, before I gave my life to Jesus, my life was really more all about me. It was really about, you know, my purpose was about me. If you don't belong to Jesus today, what is your life about? And what will, what will that do for you when your life is over? What is it doing for you now? Jesus died so that we could live for him because of what he did for us. And so when you give your life to Jesus, your life has a new purpose. It counts for something. You're able to serve something bigger than yourselves. You're able to literally invest in something of eternal value that lasts beyond our lives. So literally, we have a new purpose in life. And what else has changed because of the cross? We have a new perspective towards people. 
You can read a book or you can judge a book by its cover. You've heard that phrase before, right? Now, that's what the world says. That's the world's perspective. You judge a book by its cover. Let's look at verse 16 and see what Paul tells us. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. It's so easy to write people off, isn't it? I mean, there's times people have written us off, right? And when you belong to Jesus, everyone is a person whom God has created, who God loves, and who God values. There's not a person that I come in contact with that God does not love and God does not value. And I need to understand that as I am in Christ, I need to see that person through the eyes that Christ has for them. Not for the way they're acting, maybe maybe upsetting me or frustrating me, but for who they can be in Christ and how much God loves them. Every person should be a person we're willing to share Christ with. Jesus didn't write one single one of us off, even though he can see what's going on inside, he can see what's going on in our lives, how messed up we are, and yet he didn't write us off. We're not to look at people for what they are, but what they can be in Christ. I'm so thankful that there was an awesome assistant principal at South High School many years ago that saw things in me that I didn't even believe about myself or for sure that other people weren't saying about me. He could see God's potential in me, and he called it out in my life. And many others did eventually as well. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. We don't have to evaluate others according to the the world's perspective or expectations, you know, like how good they look or their ability or their success or their wealth or whatever external appearances you want to want to look at. We can bless others who are discouraged, who are depressed, who feel lonely, who are experiencing fear by calling out their potential in Christ, their value in Christ. And what a witness the church would be if we would be able to look at people and see their potential in Christ and call that out in their lives and invite them to live into that potential that Christ has for them. It's so easy, though, isn't it? To fall in the same pattern as the rest of the world and to view others as the world does. You know, we can get frustrated with others at times. We can judge others as the world judges them. You know, politically or conservative or liberal, people judge anti-vax or for-vax, views on race. You know, our world is so polarizing right now and you either are for what i am for or you're against me but jesus said anti-cultural he said do not judge or you too will be judged i don't know about you but there are times that i view others from a worldly point of view and the sad thing is is that when i do i'm literally crucifying jesus all over again because i'm not walking into that new life and 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 seeing them from the new perspective that christ gives me as i'm in him to be able to see them the way that he sees them. We now look at others through the eyes of Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. What else has changed because of the cross? Well, we have a new job. Do you know that? We have a new job. Paul tells us that we are literally ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. Did you know you have those jobs? It's right there in the passage. Look at verses 19 and 20. Paul says, he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
Jesus reconciled the world to himself, and he removed the sin that separates us from God. And our job is to take that message of reconciliation to everyone we know. The word committed in this passage means that Jesus literally has deposited into our hands the ministry of reconciliation. This is God's ministry of reconciliation. He's given to us as though he's handed us a sacred treasure. You know, when I was a junior in high school, the summer after my junior year, I went and worked on a care farm. And, you know, I'd driven a farm truck a few times, but that was about all I'd ever done on a farm. And I was pretty inexperienced. And I remember one day Joe took me out, and they, in the early 80s, they had this big, huge tractor. I mean, it was a, it was a versatile. It had double dualies. The wheels were taller than me. I'm six foot five. I mean, these are big wheels on this tractor. And he got me in the tractor. He showed me how to use the tractor, how to operate the equipment behind the tractor. He gave me about an hour's worth of, of instruction. And then he hopped out of the cab, gave me the keys, and said, go disc that quarter section over there. And, I, and he left me. And I was scared to death. Literally, I'm operating a piece of equipment that's worth tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. I was afraid I was going to mess something up. And I was so afraid, I almost wanted to quit. Go, it's too much. I'm, I'm afraid. But then I thought about the consequences if I didn't do the job Joe asked me to do. Because we've been given a job by Jesus. We are commissioned by him. And we're taking action on his behalf. He expects us to take action. I don't think it's acceptable to not engage because we're afraid we might mess something up or we might not get it right or we might not do it well. We've been handed the keys to engage with God in doing the work of the ministry of reconciliation, kingdom reconciliation. And we are now ambassadors for Christ. The plan that Jesus or that God has in mind was that his son would die for us and for us to receive this gift of reconciliation through Jesus and then be the ones commissioned to go out and share the message of reconciliation with others that we come in contact with. This wonderful message that saves people. The plan, this is God's plan for us. And what else can we do for a person that's going to change their eternity uh, and their destiny for eternity? And we, t- we can take the message of life to them. An ambassador is one who reflects the one who sent the one. And so our new life in Christ constitutes literally a new calling on our lives. Because Christ's death for us, because of his love for us, we no longer live for ourselves. We now live new lives for the benefit of others. And in this way we become like Christ who said, I did not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So not living for oneself is what it means to be a new creation in Christ, which is at the heart of what it means to become the righteousness of God. This is why it's so important for us to reflect Jesus in our conduct, in our attitudes, in how we live our lives. So what else has changed because of the cross? We have a new relationship with God. Look at the last verse, verse 21. It says, God who made, who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I read a story the other day um, as I was preparing the message. And 
And it's a story about a, uh, a boy and his sister who were spending a week with their grandparents on their farm. And their grandpa gave the boy a slingshot to go out and play in the woods. And, and one day the boy saw grandpa's pet duck. And without thinking, just out of impulse, he let the shing- slingshot fly. And unbelievably, he hit the duck right on the head and killed the duck. And he was really afraid. He was nervous. He was scared. He sad. In a panic, he hid the duck in the woodpile. And as he was doing so, he looked over and he saw his sister watching him. His sister Susie saw everything. And so after lunch the next day, Grandpa said, Susie, let's go wash the dishes. And Susie said without thinking, Grandpa, Billy told me he wanted to do the dishes. She leaned over to him and said, remember the duck real quietly? And so Billy got up and he did the dishes with Grandpa. And then later that day when it was time to do the chores, Susie told her Grandpa, listen, Grandpa, Billy told me he wanted to to do my chores for me. And then she whispered to Billy, remember the duck? And Billy went and did the chores for his sister as well as his own chores. And after many days of doing this, Billy just couldn't take it anymore. He went to Grandpa and he confessed to Grandpa what had happened, that he had killed his duck. And Grandpa said, gave him a hug and said, I know. He said, I was in a window watching and saw it all happen. He said, I've already forgiven you because I love you. And he said, you know, but I was just wondering how long you were going to let Susie be her slave moving forward. The forgiveness and the reconciliation that God offers us in Christ through his sacrifice on the cross opens up a whole new relationship, a whole new life. And as a result of Christ's death, not only does Christ take on our sin on him, but then he gives us his righteousness in, in, in transaction. And he gives it to us as a gift. No obligation, nothing we've done, nothing we will do. He gives us the right, literally a gift. And my encouragement for us is let's not continue to be slaves to sin and by doing so, continually crucifying Christ. Let's walk in the new life, the new creation that Christ has so dearly paid for our freedom. Think about it. God made him who knew no sin for us, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in closing, I just want to ask a couple of questions to think about in terms of application from this passage. And the first thing I want us to think about is how has Jesus made a real difference in your life as a result of the cross? Take time to reflect on the ways his death on the cross has changed your life. What has changed for you? And you can reflect this morning as we take communion. You can reflect after the passage, after the service is over. You go home. You know, I would encourage you though, take, take a moment and reflect and write some things, thoughts down, and then give thanks to God. The other thing that can do as a practical application is if you have a family, why don't you take time to share with each other how Christ has changed your life because of what He's done on the cross. The second thing is. Are you letting Jesus be the Lord of your life? Are you acting as an ambassador for Jesus? And if you're feeling like, well, kind of, but maybe not as much as I could be, what's one step, one step you could take to become a more active ambassador for Christ? You know, Tyler shared we're going to be doing the Alpha course at the end of the month. You could help serve at Alpha, providing opportunities for others to learn about Jesus and learn the basics of the Christian faith. You can invite somebody to go to the Alpha course with you. If you're in a life group, you can invite somebody to come and join your life group and read God's Word together and 
build friendship together and study God's Word together. There are dozens and if not hundreds of things we could do to be an ambassador for Christ. But the thing is, what's, what is it that we are going to do to live into that job responsibility that God has given us through Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this passage, God, and just the richness of what Paul describes and all that Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. God, we're humble to think of all the benefits that have come to us. New life in Christ, a new perspective, a new purpose. God, a new, a, a new relationship with you. So many riches, God. And God, we recognize there are times we fall short. But God, we pray through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that you would help us, empower us, equip us to be your ambassadors. And not necessarily to look for perfection, God, but to be faithful, to be obedient, to take initiative, God, and to trust you for the rest. God, we just offer this prayer. We pray that we might be found faithful. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.